This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Sheppardville Mills Baptist Church. Today I'm here in the studio with Brother John O. Sims. Good afternoon, Brother John O. How hey, are you brother. doing? Doing great. Good. Today, this is our inaugural episode of uh, The Faithful Expositor, and we're going to be talking with Brother John O. about his commitment to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. And if you are interested in hearing any of his sermons, we uh, want to direct you to visit our website at www.smbconline.com. You can also check us out on Facebook or Twitter. And uh, Brother Jono, this is, uh, I think, very timely. We're going to be talking about expository preaching, and this comes on the heels of you beginning a uh, new study with the, the, the church through the book of Revelation. And uh, you've been preaching for over 30 years now, verse by verse, uh, line by line, and you've always preached expositionally. And I just wanted to see just to, if you could share your thoughts a little bit about some of your conviction and your commitment to preach verse by verse, uh, specifically through books of the Bible. Do you remember when you were convinced that this was the way that you were going to preach and why? I was blessed in that the two pastors that I had when God saved me were both expositors, and uh, they did a good job of expositing the text, and I had never been under that before, and I just learned so much, and I could see how they handled the text of Scripture. I could, There was a clearly discernible outline. Uh, after the sermon was over, I remembered it, and I just remember how much I grew under their ministry and teaching. And even back then, I knew that this is the way that you um, preach the Word, that you faithfully handle the Word of God, and to, you know, accurately communicate truth and to participate with God in making disciples. I could just see that this is the way it should be done. I don't know of another way to fulfill the commandment to preach the Word because expository preaching focuses us on the Word of God and explaining out from the text. And um, the Word of God is powerful, and that's what the Holy Spirit uses to convert the lost and to disciple the saved. And so it was sitting under it and experiencing it that really uh, were the formations of me learning how to preach. God was already at work in my heart there. You've always said, too, a lot of this is a matter of uh, being uh, that uh, when it comes to expository preaching, a lot of it is caught, not taught. And that sounds to be like that was your experience, too. You saw it modeled before you. You experienced it. Um, what was some of the uh, other than that? I mean, would you say that you're you received a lot of training for this in seminary? Unfortunately, no. Um, seminary did not teach me to exposit the word. Um, the pastors that I had mm. taught me to exposit the Word. Um, I listened to them. I paid attention to how they handled the text, their points, their outline. That's really where I learned to do expository preaching. Seminary helped me out with some things. You know, I'm grateful for some of the things that they taught me, but basically learning how to handle a text came from sitting under faithful expositors and seeing them handle a text that's where the Lord taught me to do expositional preaching. Amen. I think it was about this time or close to it last year that we celebrated 20 years. 
you, you serving faithfully here at Shelbyville Mills uh, for 20 years. Prior to that, you'd served uh, elsewhere. You've preached, like I said, for at least 30-plus years now, uh, verse by verse. And I had to go back and do my homework and see all of the different books of the Bible that you preached through. Many of them were here at Shelbyville Mills. But on March 29th of 2020, you started to preach through the book of Ecclesiastes. And that was just on the heels of preaching through First and Second Timothy, uh, two out of three of our pastoral epistles there. And now you're moving into the book of Revelation. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the process that you personally go through whenever you're moving from one book to another, uh, and maybe even from Old Testament to New Testament, or you know, sometimes in seminary they talk about these genres of books of wisdom, epistles, and books of prophecy. Talk to us a little bit about some of your process through that. I was on a plane ride to the Shepherds Conference several years ago, and there was a pastor on that flight that was writing a book, and he asked me if he could interview me about this very thing. Mm -hmm. How do you discern which book of the Bible to preach? And I gave him my answer, so you want me to go ahead and give you my answer, and then I'll tell you what he said. Do it. <laughs> and I don't know if this makes me weird or an anomaly or what, but I still believe in the third person of the Trinity. Amen. I believe the Holy Spirit is God. I believe he has an active ministry in our lives. And what I'm about to say, some people might charge me with it being mystical or whatever, and that's fine. Uh, because I put 30 years of preaching God's Word verse by verse on the table here. But when I, for instance, completed the book of Ecclesiastes, even before, I began to pray, and I just began to ask God to impress and prompt my heart as to what He would have me preach next. And all I can tell you is that's what I've done for 30 years. And the Holy Spirit has always just prompted my heart to begin to think about a book. Now, we know that every book in the Bible is inspired, so you can't go wrong preaching any one of them. But for me, I, I always wanted to take it to another level. I know that each book is inspired, but I want the exact book that God wants me to preach at the exact time for my church. And so I've always kind of approached it that way, and I begin to pray and ask the Lord, what book would you have me preach? And the way it's always worked for me, a book comes to the forefront. Mm -hmm. It comes to the forefront of my mind. It comes to the forefront of my heart. I can't get it off my heart. I can't get it off my mind. I begin to think about it. I begin to meditate on it. And as I read that book, there's just a confirmation, just a, a yes and an amen in my heart that I believe this is what my Heavenly Father would have me preach to the flock that I shepherd. And uh, when I shared that with that brother on the flight, he <laughs> I'm not really offended, but I was shocked. He said, well, you're a blue-collar charismatic. You couldn't be further from a charismatic uh, than I am. <laughs> and anybody that knows me knows that. So I was taken aback by that a little bit. But I, I tell you, if if in our camp, if in our group, uh, there are men that shy away or they're alarmed or alerted by the active, real, living ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then I'm not with them on that. I believe the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and I believe he still guides us into all truth, and um, I rely on him to lead me in these things. And how, he, he inspired the Bible. 
He's the one that inspired men to write it. Mm-hmm. I think he's God enough to show me which book Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church needs to hear. And i got to be honest with you, I don't always know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't always know what exactly the book is that they need to hear. So I, I, I'll go to my grave believing that the Holy Spirit is God enough to show me which book of the Bible he wants me to preach next. Amen. Amen. I remember when Conrad and Bayway was here. And a lot of our young pastors and others, we got to go out and have some lunch with him. And I asked him a question very similar, or somebody did, asked him a question that was very similar to that. Uh, You know, he preaches uh, in a lot of different churches and conferences and so on. And we asked him the question, how do you know what to preach? And his his answer was very similar. But he said this, and it stuck with me forever. He said, "Uh, I don't ever preach a text until that text grips me. Amen. And I thought, man, that's good. You know, and like you said, in our circles... We tend to find guys that are so methodological and they want to um, be so meticulous in finding a formula or a recipe that they basically will just kind of neglect the activity of the Holy Spirit of God. And like you've told us before, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's good. I I hope that'll be liberating for a young pastor to hear something like that. Share with us a little bit about some of the technical if you will, processes of that. How do you select commentaries and things like that? Uh, um. Well, you know, I, I, again, am very fortunate that I had good pastors uh, around the season that I was converted and called into ministry that said, you need this in your library, you need this in your library, and it took me years just to get the things that they recommended. But going to John MacArthur Shepherd's Conference, Mm going to some of those breakout sessions that they are devote ex, you know explicitly to this um, they give you handouts and books like commentary on commentaries and mm-hmm. you know um, and they give you those and those guys give recommended commentaries for each book of the Bible and I've relied on those and but really for me, the warrior on the front line is the pastor out there that's been in the ministry for years. And when I hear of a brother like Jeff Noblet, I know he preached through the book of the Revelation. So I called him up and said, hey, man, what are the go-to commentaries on this book? And he gave me his list. That That's so valuable mm-hmm. to be able to hear from a, a pastor that's preached through it that's already, you know, called out the not-so-helpful commentaries. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I go with that. I use different sources to help me know what are the best commentaries to use. And you and I have talked about this before, too. Whenever you start preaching through a book, sometimes you'll end up, you'll start off with 15 commentaries. Right. But the further you get through it, sometimes the commentary reading is less. It is. Uh, and even the people, because you start to know the author, you know that this person is good on history, this person is good on. Uh, Greek, and this person is good on this, or context, or whatever. I had an older pastor that came here one time, and he told me something back then I didn't understand that I do now. He said, the longer you're at this, you'll always read commentaries, but the less you'll be more, the less you'll be, you know, dependent upon them. And it's because when you get into a book, you get that contextual grid in your mind. You already know the background. You already know the contextual setting. You already know historically what's going on. You're preaching verse by verse, so you know what's happened just before the verses that you've preached. You've read ahead, so you kind of know what's coming. And, um, you know, so the further you're in a book, 
yeah, you begin to call some of those commentaries because you get into a lot of repetition. A lot of guys are saying the same thing. And by the way, we only have so many hours in a week with which to work. Mm-hmm. And so you begin to rely upon those that are most helpful. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I find is when you do a real good, thorough, in-depth word study, um, you know what the Spirit of God is saying in that text. And other men's comments are helpful, and I still read them. But you are less and less dependent on their comments um, I still recommend reading the commentaries because I find so many jewels and gems that I wouldn't have gotten if I hadn't have read them. But that's kind of the way the process looks for me. I start out with my reading list is very broad. Mm-hmm. And the further I'm in the book, it kind of narrows way down to where I've got the really ones that are helping me the most, you know. That's good. That's good. Would you say that uh, I, I remember in seminary they talked a lot about literary genres and things like that. And uh, would you say that there is a, uh, a, a big difference between preaching a book of wisdom, which is where you were, uh, and an epistle, or now where we're at in, in a book of prophecy? And how much, how much attention do you even give to that kind of a thing? I think there is a difference. And I was thinking about this on the drive-in yesterday. Almost my entire tone and tenor when I was in Ecclesiastes was different from what you guys experienced yesterday. I'm a trumpet player. I was brought up reading music. I can read music. I, I'm not the best sight reader, but I can a little bit. And so I've read music since I was in the sixth grade. And what determines how I play my trumpet is the score. Crescendos and volume markings and these types of things determine you know, uh, the sound that I make with my instrument. Well, the tone and the tenor of the book that you're in is going to determine a lot of what the tone your preaching takes. Mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes was more of a loving help to us, yeah. uh, difficult times and days that we're facing. There's a lot of fire in Revelation, mm-hmm. and um, it, it takes on you know a, a more of a reproving and a rebuking tone in places. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that there is a lot to that, and uh, the, the Word of God is the score we play from, and and it dictates to us, you know, the tone and the tenor of that Sunday, any given Sunday, what our what our preachings. And I think that it would be a mistake for a man to think I'm going to be this kind of preacher only, and I'm only going to speak this way, and I'm only going to have this tone. That can get you into a trap. Hmm. You know, we have to preach the whole counsel of God. We have to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And I do think the text is what dictates to us how that flows and when it flows. Mm-hmm. I hope that answers the question. It does, and it came out in your preaching yesterday. It controlled not only the tone of the preaching, but and you even alluded to this, but it, the text itself is where you got the outline from. Exactly. We saw that not only in the sermon, but in the entire book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And talk to us a little bit about how that comes about. Well, I get amazed sometimes at guys that try to be inventive and come up with all these creative things and ideas to make the Bible exciting. It nauseates me. Uh, Most of the times, if if you pay attention to the text, it will tell you right there in the text where you need to go. The Holy Spirit in Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 gives us the God-ordained outline for the book. 
there's no need to superimpose your ideas over on the Scripture. Um, let the Scripture speak. And that's exegesis. That's explaining out from the text. And so, you know, we need to pay attention to the Word of God when we read it. And if we will, it helps to guide us through the study of that book. Amen. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about hermeneutics, just a little bit, and uh, how, uh, how you interpret it, the text. You, uh, you said in your sermon yesterday, and this was spot on, brother, you said in your sermon yesterday that uh, oftentimes when a pastor will get to particularly the book of Revelation, which is where we're at, uh, they'll freak out and they'll kind of throw away all of their hermeneutical principles that they've been utilizing for years in different books of the Bible. Why do you think that's the case? I think a lot of times it's we're fraternity mindset. We, we've got a, a constituency we're trying to hang with, and we've got a particular vogue, uh, cool, mod, hip, uh, you know, group that we're trying to run with. And to be with them, I've got to have this millennial view. And mm -hmm. to be with this group, I've got to have this millennial view. And it's a freak out. Mm -hmm. and, and rather than doing the things that we've been taught to do, we start superimposing outside ideas over into the book. That's not exegesis. That's eisegesis. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to have a consistent hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. We need to employ the same hermeneutic in every book of the Bible that we study that guides us to help help us come to a proper interpretation of that book. Mm -hmm. Not to say, well, I'm in this group or I'm in this camp, so I need to interpret this book this way. That's good. But to let the text speak and let it say what it says. Mm -hmm. That's so good. You've talked about that before. When we come to the Bible with our preconceived ideas, presuppositions, we tend to try to put that on the text and so, and Revelation, like you said, is one of those. Uh, but there are biblical hermeneutic principles that are tried and true. Um, and walk through just a little bit of a, what are some of those hermeneutic principles that you apply regardless of the text that you're coming to? Well, I kind of try to approach, you know, all texts the same. And for me, it's sitting down and first reading the text. Mm. The text is the Word of God. The text is what's inspired. And so you sit down and you read the text. And then I read the text in several different translations. Mm -hmm. uh, on my computer, I have it, it going with all the translations. I have a, you know, an iPad over on the side with all English translations called up. And then I have several printed copies that are laying out all over my desk. And I try to read that text in several different translations. And then um, I go through the text and focus on what the key words are and do a word study and try to define those words as best I can in their original context and what they mean, what the Holy Spirit intended when he chose those words. We believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture. So the words were chosen by God and they're inspired. And once I do that and the text is getting very ingrained in my heart and in my mind, then before I read any commentaries, mm -hmm. before I read what another man has to say, I start writing down my own outline Amen. Um, and my what I believe the main points of the text would be. Mm -hmm. 
And when I'm first starting a book, it's a little bit awkward and I need more help. But like I said, the further I'm, I'm into a book, the better my outlines get. And the more I depend and rely upon, you know, my going through the text mm -hmm. the first several times. And when I come up with a good outline and what I consider to be the main points of the text, then I begin to read trusted, good, solid Bible commentators and see how they handle the text. And, you know, the real neat thing about it for me, having done it as many years as I have now, is that it's amazing that our conclusions are so similar. Um, they're, they're coming to the same main points I am because we're reading the Word and we're focusing on the Word and we're exegeting the text. And But, hallelujah, once and again, you'll read a commentary and say, man, I didn't see that. That is so helpful. Mm -hmm. And you just rejoice in your spirit because this brother helped you out so much. Mm -hmm. And there's a major focus and a major emphasis here that he's put you on and you're sitting there in your chair thinking, man, I got it. Thank you. I see it. <laughs> I got it. You've helped me. And off you go, you know, mm -hmm. and you weave that into your, into your mm -hmm. outline and into your, and then after I've done all that, brother, I start manuscripting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, this is me. This is John O. Sims. Mm -hmm. I've never had ever in my life a secretary type one manuscript for me. Mm -hmm. To me, that's part of the study. Mm -hmm. To me, part of the study is me formulating it and typing it and bringing it down. And like, for instance, this sermon that I preached yesterday, I had finished on Thursday afternoon late. Friday's my off day. Mm -hmm. I pushed away, took my off day. Mm -hmm. But as I thought about it, I was deer hunting. And as I was up in the tree stand, I was thinking about it, ruminating over it, and I just wasn't happy with my outline. Mm -hmm. So when I climbed down out of my tree stand on Saturday, um, I drove to church. Mm -hmm. And I called up my outline and, and, and completely moved stuff around and, and, and reordered my points to where they flowed more logically. Mm -hmm. So as late as Saturday afternoon, though I had started on Monday, as late as Saturday afternoon, the Lord was still speaking to me and guiding me so that what I took to the pulpit with me Sunday morning uh, was very well refined. Mm. And I take a full manuscript to the pulpit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty much word for word everything I'm going to say. But I hope you would agree I don't read it. You're definitely not bound to it. I don't think you would think, oh, he's just like reading reading this and can't. I, I'm looking at the congregation. I'm moving around. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I completely step out of the pulpit and walk down the steps. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, it, but I want someone to be able, when I'm done with a text, to pick up my manuscript and read it and know what it says, know what that passage of scripture says, see how I got there. Mm -hmm. And it actually helped them and benefit them so that, you know, they can pick up one of my sermon manuscripts and it's almost like reading a commentary mm -hmm. that they understand what this text says. Yeah. I remember as a young pastor too, you told me the importance of that and yep. of manuscripting, and I've done it ever since as well. And the church has benefited from that too, from you doing that, uh, as well as other pastors, because that's how a lot of your commentaries are developed. I wish I had, I'm not a grammarian. I'm not, I'm unpolished. I'm rough. Anybody that's, I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't have good grammar. And sometimes I'm embarrassed by that. I wish I had a high powered, you know, editorial staff that took my works and really cleaned up all my country boy stuff, but um, they are what they are. Mm -hmm. Rough or rough around the edges or whatever, what you see in those commentaries is 
pretty much, it's what I carried to the pulpit with me. Mm-hmm. And so I would just ask people to help me ignore my misspells. I don't have people correcting my manuscripts. They're pretty much just what I took to the pulpit. But I would hope that a guy would pick them up and read it and overlook my errors and my lack of polish and say, well, hallelujah, at least he got the text right. And that they would say, this is what this text says, and he's helped me. I would hope that would be what people could say when they read those commentaries. Well, it is. As one pastor to another, it's been a blessing to me. It's been a help to me to be able to use your commentaries. And to the listener out there, that if, you've, if you're interested in getting a hold of one of John O's commentaries, I'd encourage you to go again to our website, www.snbconline.com, and there you can purchase uh, uh, one of his commentaries that he's preached from in the past. I guess this is probably a good place for us to wrap up uh, today. Obviously, there's a lot more questions that we could ask concerning the book of Revelation, and uh, we'll continue to do that as we go along. But let me just uh, re-encourage our listeners here. Uh, check us out on Twitter, check us out on Facebook, and uh, we'll hope to drop many more of these podcasts coming up soon. Brother Jono, it's always been good talking with you, and I hope that this will be a blessing to some young pastors out there. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to The Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother Jono's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at Jono Sims.